And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on this Saturday, December 8th. It's chilly in the city of Baltimore, but things are going to be heating up in Las Vegas, Nevada over the next couple days. The baseball winter meetings are uh, upon us. They will probably start in earnest. Craig, I've been to baseball winter meetings seven, eight times. Do they actually technically start on the Sunday? I mean, are there some... Yeah, it can. Su- it yeah. can. At times, there are some deals that could be made. I'm not talking about deals. Are there any official meetings on Sunday uh, evening? Not or? necessarily, but, I mean, everybody starts to meet over the weekend. Right. But, uh, how official you want to call it, I'm not so sure, but... I've been there and covered the winter meetings where there have been press conferences of deals that have been made on a Sunday night. Sunday night, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it is open for business beginning this weekend, and then really everything kind of gets going in earnest on Monday morning. We had such a slow offseason last year, Craig. Have you been surprised at the magnitude of some of the deals that have been popping in, the biggest of which probably Paul Goldschmidt being dealt? To the Cardinals, And have you been surprised that – that several of these deals have been like announced a week before the winter baseball meetings. It seemed like they would have wanted to wait as an industry, but I guess the teams want to make them official as soon as possible. Well, a lot of times what happens is your GM meetings about a three-week period before the winter meetings. You lay groundwork. To kind of lay groundwork and get things going, and then they're, uh, you know, Mike Rizzo with the Nationals, for example, he's talking to a lot of different teams, and... Uh, uh, you know, somebody asked him yesterday about, you know, DJ LeMayu. Right. And, uh, and he said, well, you know, we, we've talked to about, you know, 20 to 30 clubs. So, yeah, we've had discussions on him. Uh, almost as if he thought the question was a little so those, know, a little crazy. But, yeah, they all talk. and uh, Those GM meetings are kind of like, to, to, to explain it to how layman might understand, it's like you go to the Costas Inn and you meet a woman at the bar one week, right, on a Friday night. Yeah, trying to lay, hears you lay the groundwork. Lay the groundwork, for, right. right. And then, like, a couple of weeks later, she shoots you down. Right. You know, that's that's. She happened. says, Craig who? Right, She says, exactly. Craig who? Oh, exactly. All right. Anyway. But uh, uh, a lot of stuff happens, and, and it should be a rather interesting winter meetings because of some of the free agents that are out there. Uh, the Nationals were busy yesterday introducing Patrick Corbin as uh, their new left-handed starter to go in that rotation with uh, uh, Scherzer and Strasburg. Uh, a lot of people think the, the Nats may be overpaid for him, uh, giving him that sixth Six year, year f- but, with the $140 but million. they wanted him. But they wanted him, and uh, I, I don't think that was a, a, a scenario where the Yankees really wanted to go. Uh, now the question for them is how does that signing and what they've done already with Suzuki and also Jan Gomes and, and also the two relievers that they signed, Rosenthal being one of them. Uh, and Barraclaw. And, and Barraclaw, yeah. yeah. So how does that affect going forward the Bryce Harper situation? And uh, we can talk a little bit about that too because he was on our station yesterday down in D.C., 106.7 The Fan. And basically told Grant and Danny that you know, you know the Nats told Bryce that the ten-year offer for three hundred million was basically quote unquote the best that they could do, 
Now, how that figures into Scott Burroughs' thinking and Bryce's thinking going forward and whatever else they may get offered out there from other clubs, we'll just have to wait and see. We're talking uh, on this Saturday, a couple days before, uh, or a day before the winter baseball meetings really gather in earnest on Sunday. The bigger news than even Patrick Corbin yesterday, though, was uh, uh, the ownership. Mark Lerner also was on the program with... uh, with uh, Grant, Grant and Danny, Danny yeah. and basically said that because uh, you alluded, you said Harper was on. No, I said no. Uh, uh, I played no. the tape back. You said Harper. Well, if I did, I apologize. Okay. But yeah, it was Mark Lerner. It was Mark Lerner basically and, and said Lerner, that ship has sailed essentially. Yes, essentially, and uh, he didn't. He didn't think at this point that Bryce would resign with the Nationals uh, just because of the offer that they made, and they basically told him that's the best we could do. We're uh, talking on this. Uh, uh, hold on one second. Okay, we're talking on this Saturday morning. Let's uh, lay the groundwork for who we've got on the show. An exciting show today. Uh, author Jane Levy, who's written uh, biographies on Sandy Koufax, Mickey Mantle, and now her biggest yet, the big fella on Babe Ruth. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty amazing. This is a New York Times bestseller. Does it still amaze you how big? monstrous Babe Ruth is? Uh, well, I mean, if you think home runs and you think about personalities in the game, he's certainly right up there uh, in terms of obviously you and I weren't around back then. I but, mean, but he hadn't played and he retired 83 years yeah, ago. But I mean, but he's the, the Sultan of SWAT. He's the He's the guy that was traded uh, from the Red Sox to the Yankees yeah. and uh, made his mark with the Yankees and he he was the first really true big I think megastar in sports in, in, in sports in no baseball. No question about it. And uh, it just amazes me sometimes. You know, I mean, this is a guy that played Santa Claus for the kids, uh, and uh, you know whether you think about baseball lore and him pointing out the center field at Wrigley Field, saying he's going to hit the next ball out of the ballpark. I, I mean. Babe Ruth is an iconic figure in, no, no in the world of sports it. and not to mention baseball. It just still amazes me how big he is that after all these books that have been written by Babe Ruth, uh, on Babe Ruth, and I'm talking about by writers like Lee Montville and Robert Kramer, uh, that there's still such a yearning for something new about Babe Ruth. And Jane Levy's got some interesting uh, aspects to the story that she's told in the big fellow. We'll also have Mel Antonin of MassInSports.com uh, and MassInSports on TV. Okay. Mel is heading to the baseball winter meetings tomorrow. As he always does. As he always does. 11.05, an old dear friend of mine and a really good writer. He's written uh, uh, He's written for GQ, Esquire, you name it, Vanity Fair. He's written this piece, 15 Ways to Make Baseball More Watchable, and I'll put in parentheses on TV, uh, and Bruce Bouchel will join us at 11.05. Okay. And 11.25, our friend Andrew Stetka, who writes for Masson, uh, sports.com and also writes for the Utah Street Report. He will join us from his home out in Arizona. What are you so upset with? Are you losing? The fine internet in this building again. It's it's out? It's not allowing me to connect. So. Okay. All right. It is what it is. We may need to, uh, after Jane Levy, we'll, um, we'll get you a password and get you on a different one. All right. All right? I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. 
I come here to, to I love doing this show with Craig Heiss. I missed him dearly last week, and I had neither of you. By the way, you both abandoned me last week. Where were, where were you? You know, it's funny when you... Should we tell it's him? Fun, it's, <laughs> it's funny. I mean, know. I was in Florida, so huh? I was in Florida. Okay. You noticed my tan? <laughs> yes, I did. All right. Anyway. All right. Good. Good. Very good old-fashioned humor. Yeah, that's right. I set you up for that. All right. So that's what we've got on the show today. Uh, Craig, uh, some some good news and some bad news about an old friend of ours, uh, Jonathan Scope. Yeah. Was non-tendered by the Milwaukee Brewers because that figure of $10 million was a little pricey for what they saw out of him. Right. And everybody s- thought that that was the the, the, the number that he was going to get in arbitration. Arbitration, yeah. right. And those numbers are pretty – I mean, they could be four or $500,000 off, but it wasn't like they were off by two or $3 million. No. He was going to get roughly $10 million had the Brewers tendered him. Uh, Brewers did not. He rebounded really quickly because after such a poor season last year, you may have had the industry saying, well, let's play hardball with this guy. Well, Rocco Baldelli, the new manager of the uh, Minnesota Minnesota, Twins, Derek Falvey and Thad Thad Lewis, is it? Yeah. Uh, They got together, and they like, with Brian Dozier no longer a twin out in free agency, they like Jonathan Scope just fine. They like our guys. Well, yeah, and, I, you know, look, Jonathan had his issues, especially after Manny Machado got traded last right. year. I think the game became a little bit uh, more difficult from him from a uh, psychological standpoint, not having his best friend around. Uh, but I don't think there's any question to the amount of talent that this kid has at second base and, and can be as an offensive player as well. Uh, but again, he's in a situation now with a new club and a new contract for a year that he now has. He's got to show he, them. He's got to show them something and show that he's worth that. And whatever happens after this year, he he can set himself up. I I love this kid, but I have to admit that when I really analyzed the kind of year he had and put it into the totality of his career. This is a guy, Craig, after five full seasons in Major League Baseball, has an on-base percentage of two ninety-four. Yeah, it's not real good. Only one season, that 2017 season, where he put it all together, he had a three thirty-eight on-base percentage. Now, if he's at that level, he's a, a stud. I mean, he's a terrific player. No question about it. Uh, our our uh, editor here, Luke Jackson, who knows a thing or two about sports, he thought he saw. Um, well, you would hope so. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, actually, the position is more about editing. Oh, all right. Anyway, but all kidding aside, he said he saw a drop off in range at second base. I did not see that. I didn't see it either. And uh, like I said, a lot of it, I think, from a defensive standpoint, especially here in Baltimore, where we get a chance to see him every day, was he lost his double play partner. And uh, whether it's just trying to get used to somebody else over there, and trust me, it takes a lot to get used to Tim Beckham playing <laughs> shortstop for you. Yeah, I yeah. mean, certainly uh, not a Manny Machado type at shortstop. Uh, so tell me a little bit about, we've got about five, six minutes before we're going to grab Jane Levy um, on the phone. And tell us a little bit about the tenor of the uh, press conference yesterday. Uh, very nicely put together. Uh, I thought that uh, Corbin, kind of a little bit of a soft-spoken guy, but talked about 
you know, he's obviously a two-time All-Star, uh, and and last year uh, turned his season around, coming back a few years removed from the Tommy John, eleven and seven, a three-one-five ERA. The year previous to that, uh, in sixteen, uh, he was. Uh, I'm sorry. In 17, uh, he was uh, 14 and 13, but the ERA was in the mid fours. So he's fighting his way back, and and you know to 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 be the pitcher that everybody thinks he can be, and himself included. Uh, but I, I think the Nats are really happy to have him. He fits in well with uh, Scherzer and Strasburg and Tanner Roark. And I don't think Mike Rizzo's done yet. I think they're going to probably go out and try to get another starting pitcher and certainly uh, maybe some more bullpen help. Uh, But all indication is Rizzo feels pretty good about the team that he's assembled at this point, whether that includes Bryce Harper or it doesn't include Bryce Harper. Uh, But again, without Bryce... You have to feel like there's another uh, outfield player. That's in, what I in, was going to get to. Another is, outfielder in play. Is a, for, is a Marcakis, is a Brantley uh, it's option, options B? Certainly, it's possible. And if you, you know, again, it's a crowded outfield. And a lot of this is going to depend on how it shakes down in spring training. Because, I mean, let's face it, Juan Soto, uh, we talked to him uh, this past weekend at Winterfest. Uh, down at Nats Park, and uh, I asked him flat out, I said, you know, were you surprised at all by what you accomplished? And he said, yeah, I was a little bit surprised. Right. I mean, because here's a kid that came up, and his plate discipline was incredible. Uh, His ability to lay off pitches uh, that normally you wouldn't see rookies lay off of uh, just spoke volumes about what he is as a player right now. Now, here's the thing. 22 home runs and that kind of thing. Can he repeat that next year? Uh, we always hear about the sophomore jinx. Well, if, if you're heading into the season without Bryce Harper, you're looking at Soto in left, more than likely uh, Robles in center, and then Adam Eaton in right with Michael A. Taylor, who's probably the best of the outfielders as far as going to get the ball and that kind of thing. So from that standpoint... It'll be interesting to see how that all shakes down for the Nationals. Uh, and that's why I say you probably are looking at uh, another outfielder. Now keep this in mind, too. Second base is a little up in the air. They have Wilmer Defoe there, but Howie Kendrick is going coming back from his Achilles injury. And uh, there's another outfielder slash second baseman uh, that they can move right in there. And I think one of the reasons that they struggled last year, Stan, one of the big reasons, besides you know some injuries here and there, was the loss of Howie Kendrick. Uh, I thought it was in, huge in last May. Year. In May to that Achilles, but you know we talked to Howie it's at Winterfest last last week, which yep. is why I wasn't here. Uh, and and you're talking about somebody who feels like you know he's hopping around and doing all the things. I mean, the only thing I would think of from an infield standpoint when you're when you're doing the uh, the Achilles and recovering from that is whether or not uh, that Achilles is going to be affected with your lateral movement at second right. base, right to left, left to right, that kind of thing. Uh, I think it's probably a little bit more easy for him in the outfield. 
but again, that's a pretty crowded outfield right now, so we'll have to wait and see. There will be jobs available in hey, spring training to win. Hey, before we reach out to Jane Levy, the author of uh, number one bestseller on the New York Times list, uh, the big fella, uh, the Yankees. They yeah. lost out on Corbin. Right. They were seriously interested in Nathan Evaldi, uh, who re-signed big contract now, $17 million a year plus from the Boston Red Sox. Boy, did he parlay. Yeah, he did. Uh, he, that... he got the bucks. Uh, but the Yankees lose out on him. I think they're going to be – I think they are going to set their sights on Corey Kluber. Could very well be. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk, too – about them still signing Harper, and I'm not so sure I agree with that, and I'm not so sure that's going to happen because you're going to have to – Bryce is probably going to have to play first base if that's the situation, and then you're play, paying all that money right. for a guy who hit 249 last year. Yes, he hit the home runs, and yes, he drove in 100 runs for the first time in his career – but again, you're signing him then to play what a position that he's never played before. Yeah, it, does, it just doesn't make a, a lot of it sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense, and Un it's a little bit. That's a hard sell for me. Unless the Yankees, and this was rumored a year ago that somehow that they would spin Stanton to mm -hmm. the Dodgers because he's a California kid, uh, and that maybe that they they then would go after Harper. But that also calls upon the Dodgers to move Puig somewhere. Well, yeah, and, and there's I'm a lot of there's if Puig a lot of to the Indians makes sense in a Kluber deal as well. It could very well. And again, this is one of the things the Dodgers have put out there that uh, I don't think it's any secret that they would like to trade Yasiel if the return is what they want. And I think the Indians, for their part, if there's one manager in baseball that you might be able to deal Puig to, where you're not worried that you're going to have trouble handling him. It might be Terry Francona. It might be, but I thought Dave Roberts did a fairly decent job with him uh, while he was there. I mean, he acted up early in the career, and he did some things that you got to say, you know, hang on, put the brakes on it a little bit. Uh, but I think for the most part, yes, I think Terry Francona would be the ideal guy. All right. We are now joined by uh, one of the most esteemed authors in the sports book business, she is a heavy hitter herself, and her new book is New York Times bestseller, uh, The Big Fella by Jane Levy. Jane, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Stan. How are you this Good. morning? Good. You're on with myself and my co-host on Saturdays here on the Bat Around, Craig Heist. Hey, Jane. How are you? I'm great, Greg. How are you? Good, good. Hey, this is our week to have really gotten to know one another. We had you on the Skype uh, the other night, which will air tomorrow morning, and part of the reason we wanted to zero in on you as you're doing a book signing here in Baltimore next Saturday at the Babe Ruth Museum birthplace at three to five. You're going to give a little talk and then sign some books. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that came about. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it should have been the first event, I think, probably because it's where the whole book got its start back in 19, I think it was 1995 when, um, I took my son there. My son was then seven years old, and he was quite patient given, you know, that he was seven, standing right. and looking at uh, the bedroom in which Babe Ruth was born. And while I took notes and, and was then the executive director, um, you know, filled in some of the details. It, it was, uh, I've actually been thinking about writing about Babe Ruth since then. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the uh, very long uh, reportorial investigation, Greg Schwallenberg, who was then a curator, 
took my son into what passed for a what passed for then the archives it was basically a a closet uh, with steel shelving, you know. And he pulls a bat out of a bunch of them, and then she says to my son, "Here, try this." And Nick was a fairly little guy, and he hands him this gigantic bat. And Nick tries to get it over his shoulder, and he's, you know, trying to steady himself. And he finally gets it in place, and he assumes his batting stance. And Greg says, "That's one of the bats Babe Ruth used in 1927." Mm. And Nick. <laughs> You know, he struggled to maintain his equilibrium right. because even for somebody who was seven years old, and granted, the son of somebody who cares about this stuff a lot, uh, but for somebody who was seven years old, the name Babe Ruth meant so much, and that told me it was worth pursuing. Um, that you know, this is the one name in American sports that will never get old, and people will never get over. Jane, that story is great because, you know, if if you're a kid and you're watching baseball or you're a fan of it or you're even playing it as a kid, I don't think there's too many people that don't know at least the name Babe Ruth yeah. or like the kind of, uh, you know, mystique, what he brought and, and, you know, whether it was being called the Sultan of Swat, whether it was, you know, the, just this big round kind of guy who looked like the, he was having a lot of fun every time you see videos of him. Well, you know, he wasn't always that round when he first came up <laughs> yeah. uh, to the major leagues in 1914 with the Boston Red Sox as a, as a pitcher. He was quite lithe. He was probably you know, he was six one and a half and 185, 195. And the caricature of him with the uh, overblown chest on these uh pipe stem legs was a something that came much later in his career and it's been accentuated by all those drawings i actually think you know there are pictures of him lying on a like a rubbing table where he's getting a a rub down from a trainer and his chest is like a like an accordion with the bellows shut (laughs) it's that huge and um i think his chest actually disguised and and it caused people to misinterpret how big his legs really were. Mm-hmm. He hit with his legs, just like every modern player tells you. The power comes from the legs. And he was a very modern guy in almost every way, but it most especially in the way that he swung a bat. And he understood completely the principles of leverage and torque that were ne- necessary to generate power in a, in a modern baseball power swing. Do you think is, uh, and I know this, I'm not sure if this is a big part of the book or not, but Babe Ruth being a pitcher and a, and a pitcher of some great renown, do you think that played into his understanding of hitting a little bit as well? Yeah, I think it had to. And, and, and after all, you know, the kinetic chain that um, Sandy Koufax described for me so well in um, my book about him, uh, that is what causes you to be able to generate power. And a pitcher, of course, has the advantage because he's working off a a mound and a a batter's working from, you know, flat ground. But it's the same same principles apply. And so he was, I I think I said in the book somewhere, that he's the one guy in, in the history of baseball. I mean, maybe Lefty O'Doul, a couple of, maybe Otani will prove it to, to be worthy of uh, being in that group, 
who understood and mastered the laws of physics from opposite ends of 60 feet, 6 inches. We're talking with Jane Levy. She's got a New York Times bestseller. Uh, it's number one. It's a monster book right now. The Big Fella, uh, Babe Ruth, a, a Babe Ruth story. And I forget the, the subhead is what, Jane? It's the, the Big Fella, Babe Ruth, and the world he created. All right. The world he created. I read one of the reviews of your book, and I can't remember right now who it was from, but in preparing to interview you the other night, and we never got to this topic, does your book get into, with some substance, the fact that he was the first of what we now take for granted as modern, marketable athletes? Oh, absolutely. That's exactly what the, the subhead um, is, is conveying. Ruth had the great fortune to come along at exactly the right moment in history when developments in technology, i.e. radio, uh, telexes, even prototypes of fax machines, um, was amplifying uh, the kind of fame that people could achieve. He also came to New York just when the first tabloid paper, the New York Daily News, had been, had been in, in existence for seven months when he arrived in January 1920. And he also had the first sports agent, a guy named Christy Walsh, who was a California guy, uh, cheap as the day was long, which was a good thing for <laughs> Babe, um, because he was the opposite. And he was a failed cartoonist, and he was a failed ad man, and he was out of work when in February 1921 he got the great idea that if he could lasso Babe Ruth to write for what he called the Christie Walsh Syndicate, mm-hmm. um, and he could market uh, newspaper articles with Babe Ruth's byline, which of course were ghostwritten by Christie Walsh and then a succession of the most prominent sports writers in America, um, that, that he could make a living. So he actually... Um, he, he actually crawled up a fire escape at the hotel Babe Ruth was staying at, um, had found out what floor it was, peeked in the window, saw Babe Ruth in bed with a blonde, <laughs> climbed through the window, slapped him on the butt, and said, I want to represent you. <laughs> and that, that was the beginning of a 14-year professional relationship in which evolved from the, that syndicate deal uh-huh. into Christy Walsh managing all of his affairs, getting him um, all sorts of endorsements, which was, again, it wasn't unheard of, but it was new in the way that, that Walsh did it so systematically. And he also toured him around the country on, you know, off-season in barnstorming tours and in vaudeville tours, and uh, absolutely, as, as Roger Angel, who is, you know, my, my go-to guy on everything baseball said, he was the model of modern celebrity. We're talking with Jane Levy, the author of The Big Fellow, uh, uh, the story of Babe Ruth and the world that he created. Jane will be at the Babe Ruth Museum and Birthplace next Saturday, the 15th, from 3 to 5. She'll sign your books there. 
Uh, she's doing a great deal of promotion on this book, and it's all paying off. Uh, Craig Heist has a question for <laughs> that you. That last story you told, Jane, I was just thinking uh, as far as just putting the whole book together, I was going to ask you, is there anything that you ran across that surprised you, and maybe that was it? <laughs> <laughs> that story comes from uh, Christy Walsh's nephew, Richard, uh, who was one of the first guys I interviewed. I think he was 86 wow. um, when I interviewed him, and he's still going strong. Um, yes, there was a lot that surprised me. Um, at the very beginning of the process, I talked for a long time to my friend Dan Okrent, who is a great baseball writer, historian, sure. and, um, and then later the ombudsman for the New York Times. He's had a great journalistic career in every way, and he said to me, one of the things that became uh, a thread throughout the book. He said, you know, he, when you listen to his voice, he doesn't sound like the gutter snipe uh, of you know, the bad kid who hung around the, the waterfront in Baltimore. And when you look at his handwriting, he doesn't look like an Ill, the illiterate boob mm -hmm. that he is always described as being. And Dan said, you know, there's, he, he, he comported himself with dignity that he never gets credit for. And I followed Dan's lead in that. And I, I'm absolutely convinced that over the course of his life and career, Babe Ruth did evolve from um, the guy who came to the Boston Red Sox without a toothbrush um, to somebody who the reporter who followed him for the Daily News in New York said you could take him to any party anywhere and he would know how to behave. He knew what fork went with what part of what meal. He could hold his little pinky out uh, while holding a, a teacup or a little cup of soup. Um, he really did change. And one of the things that was most poignant for me was an article I found at the Hall of Fame by a guy named Jan Robbins, uh, who was a young 14-year-old a high school reporter from Brooklyn who won a contest and got to go interview Babe Ruth in 1934 at the end of his Yankee career. And everybody was talking at that point about how Ruth clearly wanted to manage the Yankees and wasn't being given the opportunity to do so. Mm -hmm. So this young man, whose name was Jan, um, you know, wants to sound grown up. So after some pleasantries and getting over the shock of seeing Babe Ruth in pink-striped underwear. Um, <laughs> Jan asks him what he figures is the grown-up question about how he feels about not getting a chance to manage. And Babe Ruth goes nuts on the kid. And he says, you newspaper guys are all alike to this 14-year-old. You know, <laughs> you never give a guy a chance. <laughs> Wasn't I good to you? Didn't I give you a lot to write about? Can't and this is the pivotal part of the quote. Can't you see that I've changed? Sure, I ran around a lot, but I'm different now. Can't you give a guy a chance? And what that story captures, and that too was sort of a a, a um, it became a go-to part of the story for me. Babe Ruth created, with the help of Christy Walsh, happily participated in the creation of this persona of the big fella but then he got trapped inside of it and um and and no one would give him credit for being a person who had changed 
and who was not, you know, the, the, the gutter snipe that he had been always portrayed to be. The, the title, The Big Fella, were there, other, were there other titles you were considering, and how did it come out that it was The Big Fella? That was, I found that in a quote from Casey Stengel, um, who actually, of course, being Casey Stengel, called him the big feller. Right. But then I started looking around and seeing that, that that's what a lot of his contemporaries called him. All the other names, and I've listed 58 of them on one page, and I think I've left some out. As a matter of fact, I found one from uh, uh, Grantland Rice the other day. Uh, he called him the Baltimore Blizzard, among other things. <laughs> um, but I, from the moment I heard that, I said, that's what he is. That that's it. We're talking uh, the subtitle changed, yeah. but the but the the title was always the same. You've written two other major books on baseball figures: Sandy Koufax in the early two thousands, like one or two, and then the Mickey Mantle story, which was titled the the Last Boy Hero. The Last Boy, uh, Mickey Mantle, and the End of America's Childhood. All right, uh, what have you found? Is it surprised you? Has this book so trumped those two books? No pun intended. There, uh, in in total interest. Um, no, I think I, I, I no, I think that the three books actually fit together as a as a triad in a way that I could never have planned. It's only something I could see from this vantage point. Sandy Koufax is a guy who is so smart, so well-read, um, has so much of a sense of himself as a human being who is not just Sandy Koufax, in quotes, the, you know, the great left-handed pitcher, that he understood that modern celebrity, which began with Babe Ruth, um, can eat your soul. And he doesn't live for or need the mentions and the items and the clickbait, you know, that... Mm-hmm. that other people need to feel complete. Mickey Mantle was a guy who came to New York at age 19 from Commerce, Oklahoma, and I think he was destroyed by celebrity. And, I might add, by the comparisons and the expectations that he would be the second Babe Ruth. Uh, He was a guy whose family had alcoholism running through it, um, and uh, here he is in New York, and everybody wants to buy the Mick a drink, and be able to say they they bought him a drink, and then you know <laughs> yep. they they didn't know they were contributing to the illness yep. that would ultimately kill him. Um, and Babe Ruth is the guy who created uh, this yeah. this new way of being famous for athletes. So they do fit together in a in a you know in a in a way as I said I could never have planned. One of the topics uh, surrounding, and I know from talking to you the other night, how much research you put into Babe as a as a young kid. But I did want to ask you, what did you find in doing this book of the real nature of the Garrig Ruth relationship? Was it complex? Yes, it certainly became complex because, after all, you know, even in 1927, um, when when Garrig wins the MVP. Um, award because you're not allowed to get it twice under the major league rules of the time. Um, he's still 24 years old, and he's still naive and inexperienced in all the ways one can be inexperienced and dominated by his very overbearing mother, Mom Gehrig. Um, 
but they kind of are opposite sides of the same coin. I mean, Garrig's the over-mothered boy, and Ruth is the motherless boy. His mother had died when uh, in 1912 and uh, had not been part of the family since his parents divorced in 1906, which was the major reportorial finding that explained uh, the childhood of Babe Ruth and why and how he became who he became. So in 27, Gehrig's like a little lapdog. It's a, mm-hmm. that's a strange way to describe him, as chiseled, large, and muscular as he was. But, you know, he's following Babe around, and um, there's this wonderful piece of film that I found. They go hunting on a hunting trip at the end of the barnstorming tour that I describe uh, at length in the book. And um, there's a there's film of Gehrig um, picking bugs and 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 stuff out of, of Ruth's hair the next morning after <laughs> sleeping in a duck blind, <laughs> and it's very tender and yeah. very um, uh, it, it captures what the relationship was like at that time. It it soured yeah. much later, not it, over allegedly over the treatment of. Um, uh, his first, his daughter Dorothy, from his first marriage, by his second wife Claire, but it really went to to well, you know, it went it went it went bad for for good in 1934 when uh, Garrig's wife Eleanor and he married late, uh, his mother having chased off um, every other woman up till then. Uh, Eleanor Garrig and Claire Ruth uh, are. On the, they're on a boat going to Japan uh, for the postseason tour of Japan that uh, organized by uh, Lefty O'Doul and Connie Mack, and they the two women agree that the feud is stupid and they should get over it. And uh, Claire invites Eleanor back to the Ruth State Room for um, uh, an afternoon of champagne and caviar, uh, and so she disappears for the afternoon. And Lou, meanwhile, is searching the horizon, thinking she's gone overboard. And when he finds out where she's been and who she's been with, he's so angry he won't talk to her. He doesn't talk to her for a week. And Babe goes to Lou's uh, stateroom and, you know, tries to give him a big hug and say, come on, get over it. And Lou wouldn't forgive him. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, As you say, the big fella and all of the the different stories we hear about Babe Ruth and the legacy and uh, bigger than life in a lot of ways. Did, did, is there anything in the book uh, that describes or that talks about the, uh, you know, the, the time where he's at Wrigley field, he sees the, the, the sick youngster, I think early in the morning and he promises he's going to hit a home run and he winds up pointing out the center field. And sure enough, he hits the home run. Well, that's completely false. That was Uh made up by Hollywood for the Babe Ruth movie, which was as bad a a movie as as has ever been made. Right. Uh, Is this the Bendix one, the William Bendix one? Yeah, the William Bendix one. And it was was just an embarrassment. It remains an embarrassment. And Hollywood does what... Hollywood did what Hollywood does, is it just extrapolated from... um, stuff that was described in, in the autobiography that was published that year, that summer. It was written by Bob Considine with a big lot of help from Fred Lieb because Considine didn't really know Ruth, and Ruth was so sick at that point that he couldn't really 
contribute much. You're talking about the famous story of Johnny Sylvester, the New Jersey boy who was allegedly in the hospital um, and his life in danger when his father reached out to Ruth, then playing in the 26 uh, World Series in uh, St. Louis, uh, thinking that a, uh, that a signed autograph uh, ball would somehow save his son's life. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's that <laughs> um, needs to be corrected, and that is everything, because Johnny Sylvester was not in the hospital. Johnny Sylvester was mm. in his bed at home in New Jersey when Ruth and Christy Walsh, who mastered this whole uh, thing, um, stopped by his house and did meet him. Um, and Ruth did send him uh, not just one, but two baseballs by airmail. Mm. in 1926, but Johnny's looking quite fine in the pictures that appeared on the front of the New York Daily News, and it was great headlines, Dr. Ruth arrives, you know, <laughs> and it, but he was never in Chicago, and um, uh, that story was completely made up. Got one last question for you, and I really appreciate the time. want to remind everybody that Jane Levy will be at the Babe Ruth Museum and Birthplace next Saturday, the 15th, from 3 to 5, a little bit of a talk, then a signing for the books that you buy there. Great gift this uh, holiday season. My last question is, if this book had its genesis in 1995, what were you thinking about about 23 years ago uh, this time? I mean, in other words, what are you thinking about for next book for Jane Levy? I'm thinking about going to Bali for a year and sitting on a beach. <laughs> I I really don't know. I mean, I'll give you a serious answer. I don't know. Yeah. Believe me, my agent is asking. Um, I don't think that there's another biography. Okay. Um, that uh, you know, these guys are a troika. You oh, know. Yeah. Um, where do you go? I mean, after after I said after Sandy Koufax, where do you go? Okay, Mickey Mantle, that makes sense. Where do you go after Mantle? Okay, Babe Ruth. But you know, that's the point about Ruth. There's nowhere to go after there's, Babe Ruth. There's nowhere he in is, baseball to go. What about like somebody like Muhammad Ali, or is baseball your thing, Jane? Um, I would be very happy to write about some something or some, you know, some subject other than baseball, yep. and I think I probably can. Ali was just done by my yep. very good friend John Eig, and that, too, would be a great holiday be, book because right. it's terrific. Um, I, I don't know. I, you know, uh, I, I maybe a season, you know, mm-hmm. something like that, something the way like David that. Halberstam used to do them. Yep. Um, but I think I need some distance from uh. the babe who is, I like to say that I've spent more nights alone with Babe Ruth than any woman since either of his wives, and probably more consecutively than either of them ever did. Well, you know, sitting on a beach in, you know, in let's, fa- let's face it, that's a good way to work things out. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Jane, many thanks for being on with us again. The TV show tomorrow morning, 1030 on Channel 2. Uh, inside press box jane will be at the babe ruth museum birthplace and we'll see if we can't find her another gig to to come and sell some books in baltimore very shortly jane thanks a million for your time thank you stan because you know what yeah it is very much a baltimore book yes it is a great gift uh, in baltimore you know the stuff that i was able to find about his childhood in baltimore which is not in any other of the previous biographies 
um, is the stuff I'm most proud of, actually. Thank you very much, Jane. We'll talk to you Thank soon. You. Okay. Chick-fil-A on Sundays. With Chick-fil-A's reheatable chilled nugget trays, you can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Make all your events remarkable with Chick-fil-A catering trays. Perfect for tailgating, birthdays, office, or holiday parties. Craig, now let's tell folks a little bit about our place, Big Bats. All right, over on the eastern shore, Stevensville, Maryland, as you can hop across the Bay Bridge. Actually, it's better if you drive. But if you get over there (laughs) and it's the first exit, uh, right after you get across the Bay Bridge onto the eastern shore, uh, and that's uh, Stevensville. You go up to the uh, ramp and get up to the light, make a left, and it's uh, right down there about a quarter of a mile down the road on the right, and it's a great place for subs, burgers, all kinds of good sports, bar food. And, uh, and you can watch all the games. All the games, you know, hockey. Army-Navy today. Army-Navy. Caps are in Columbus tonight playing for first place in the Metropolitan Division. Uh, the Wizards, uh, they're in Cleveland tonight. And they've been playing a little they better. They've won three in a row, yep. And uh, so we'll see what happens. But, uh, all right. Big the bats. Ravens tomorrow at yeah. Kansas City. Redskins home against the Giants. 216 St. Clair plays Stevensville, Maryland. Please tell Steve Garland that Stan the Fan and Craig Heist sent you. One-third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square will cater your holiday party at home, at the office, or as that contribution you make to your friend's party. Take the nugget platter. I guarantee your friends will eat every bite. Enough with the meatballs and a crock pot. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square will cook it, pack it, and if you'd like, deliver it. Sandwiches, sliders, waffle fries, desserts, even breakfast. Have you tried the Chick-fil-A chicken minis? Delicious. You have enough to do. Don't add more cooking. For not only will your catering platter be sensational, but your home will smell amazing and you won't be exhausted by the time your party starts. Order online or through your Chick-fil-A app. If you need help, ask Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. He's been there for 150 years. He knows how to do everything. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, for the holidays, you're welcome. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference, both at home and abroad. On the Army team, Respect is earned daily, and now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime and post-game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Pressbox's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, post-game. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Pressbox's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Sports. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. 
Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Dave Ginsburg profiles six-time Pro Bowler Marshall Yanda, an NFL star so unlikely he still drives a beat-up old pickup truck. Plus, our annual college basketball preview as we break down all of the Division I men's and women's hoops teams in the state. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. This is former Terp AJ Francis, just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo, Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled Uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy, Y2AJ, here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. All right, we are back on the bat around. Many thanks to Jane Levy, New York Times bestseller, the big fella, and she'll be at the Babe Ruth Museum and Birthplace next Saturday afternoon from 3 to 5 talking about the book and signing books. Joining us right now is MassonSports.com and Masson TV, Mel Antonin, who is getting ready for an exciting trip to Las Vegas. Mel, how are you? Hey, good morning, Stan. I'm doing fine. Reme- remember, remember, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> if I don't come back, you know I did well. On the <laughs> That's right. Hey, first of all, before we go any further, you and I both were commiserating yesterday with the tragic death in a car accident of Luis Valbuena and another player and two other players were hurt. But that was no routine car accident. That was an attempted robbery where, I don't know if you knew this, that these bandits in Venezuela, they put like huge rocks, like craters in the middle of the road forcing you to stop, and then they rob you, and Valbuena and his uh, cohorts probably realized what was going on, tried to get around it, and swerved and tumbled over, and Luis Valbuena tragically died. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I was aware of that yesterday, but um, it's a really sad story. I didn't know Castillo, but I knew Val. Valbuena a little bit. I, yep. I I interviewed him several times, and and the thing that I always remember about him is the smile on his face and how excited he was to be a U.S. citizen. It's a tragic, tragic yeah, ter- it's tragic, terrible it's story, terrible story, terrible yeah, story. Yeah, but he loved he loved the idea of being a U.S. citizen, and he was very excited about that. And, you know, it was, ah. it's just sad. Yeah, it really is. All right, not quite as sad as uh, you're heading to Las Vegas. Uh, do you feel like I do, and I think Craig shares this belief, that these meetings this year, this particular time in the industry, uh, for so many different reasons, 
this could be kind of really like nothing but fireworks going off in Las Vegas. I agree. And I think the, the buildup to it is the fact that there's been so many moves already. I mean, usually you can kind of tell when the meetings are going to be slow or fast and yeah. furious. And I think these meetings are going to be fast and furious because, because contending teams need pitching. Start there. Milwaukee, yep. the Yankees, Houston, Atlanta, Philadelphia. All teams that consider themselves contenders need pitching. So right there, that tells me that it's going to be really busy because you're either going to be overpaying for Dallas Keuchel or you're going to be trading for Madison Bumgarner. Right, right. Uh, the New York Yankees missed out, needless to say, on their probably their number one choice, Patrick Corbin, but they were solid and not wanting to go to the sixth year. They then got beat the other day by their uh, former New York Yankee, Nathan Eovaldi, uh, who signed back. Uh, it's amazing. Nobody had a better uh, October than, than Nathan Eovaldi, what he evolved into. Uh, so they missed out on him. Where do you think the Yankees next turn? Well, I think I think they have plenty of money to spend. Their payrolls get roughly somewhere between ninety and hundred million dollars. So they have plenty of money to spend. I think they'll go after Dallas Keuchel. I think they'll look at Corey Kluber to trade for him. Yep. Uh, or, uh, I think Madison Bumgarner is in play for the Yankees. Uh, and as free agents, I think Dallas Keuchel or Jay Happ would be the way to go. So I think they have four options yet. Yep. And uh, who knows? It might be trade. I can see them picking up Bumgarner and Bryce Harper, to be honest with you. Bumgarner in the trade market, Harper on the free agent market. But pitching-wise, Keiko Hopp, Bumgarner, Kluber probably are their four candidates. Well, I know that the Toronto Blue Jays are, have, are said to have heavy interest in, in well, no, in uh, Dallas Keiko. And Keiko. Yeah, so we'll see where that goes. Let me. I ask, think the Phillies have a lot of interest in Keiko as well. Go ahead. Let, me, let me ask you this, Mel, and that's what we saw yesterday down at Nats Park uh, with the introduction of Corbin. Uh, he gets that sixth year, something I don't think the Yankees wanted to do. Uh, but Mike Rizzo, you know, take it or leave it, seemed to be pretty happy with the way this came out, even though a lot of people think that, you know, the Nats overspent for this. Uh, but if you add him coming off of his year last season uh, and you stick him in that rotation with, uh, with, with Scherzer and Strasburg and if Tanner Roark can turn around and, and regain his form, uh, the Nats starting pitching, if they can stay healthy, looks pretty formidable. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. The question is, and I think Patrick Corbin's going to have a good year, Craig. I think he's on his way. But here's the question. Is Patrick Corbin what he was in 2018 when he actually had more strikeouts than Steven Strasburg? Or is he the pitcher that gave up more hits than innings pitched in the previous two seasons? Right. You know, you don't know which way to go on that. I mean, when you consider on August 1st, 2017, Patrick Corbin was one of the one of the one of the worst pitchers in the National League. He got bombed in a game when the Diamondbacks were in Chicago by the Cubs, and Wrigley Field gave up like ten runs in three innings, three home runs, a lot of walks, and uh, that is when he decided that he's going to start throwing a slider more. Yeah. He threw 26 sliders in that game. The next game, he he threw more sliders. The next game after that, he threw more sliders. And uh, he, his last 11 starts, he went at least six innings seven or eight times. So he's got quite a track record. And, and you know, if he pitches like he pitched in 2018, then that's going to be fine. But if he reverts back and the rest of the league adjusts to the fact that he's thrown more than 50% of 
send sliders and curveballs, then he's going to have he's going to have to make some adjustments. Well, he's a two-time All-Star, and if you think back to 13, he had a really good year that that year, and then the injury uh, certainly cropped up on him. But it, it it looks like after going 14 and 13 uh, back in 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 17, it looks as though that with the addition of that pitch and starting to throw it more, it kind of turned his whole, I won't say career around, but certainly his numbers to this point. I mean, 11-7 and seven with a three-one-five is pretty formidable. Oh, yeah, there's no question he's the best pitcher on the market, and the fact that he's left-handed is even better. But we've seen a lot of pitchers have one good year and then fall off the map. Can he continue? Because you know, Craig, as well as I do, that, opposing lineups are going to make adjustments to him. Yeah. He's going to have to, it's not that he's got a great pitch. It's whether or not he can make adjustments. We're talking with Mel Anton of MassonSports.com and TV Masson. He's on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report most every night from 5 to 6. Uh, Mel, uh, little good news this week for our old friend uh, Jonathan Scope. Um, he picked up he picked up quickly. Uh, he and his agent, I think, did the right thing, striking a quick deal, but a solid deal for one year with the Minnesota Twins. Your thoughts? Seven million. I, yeah, seven million. I think it was a. I think it was a good move, considering that going into the going into the off season, there was twenty six free agent second basemen on the market. Right. Not every team is going to need a second baseman. That was a real supply and demand issue that favored the owners and the teams more than it favored the second baseman. I think it was a good move for Jonathan Scope. Uh, he could end up staying, staying in Minnesota long term, but he could be a bridge to to uh, the Twins minor league system. One thing that the Twins are flush in is middle infielders. They got guys like uh, 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 Clayton and Lewis coming up and about ready to take over at short and second. And don't so they have Dean, Don't they have Tom Gordon's son too? Yeah, Tom Gordon's son. Yeah, that's what I meant, Gordon. What yeah. did I say? Uh, you said uh, Roy, uh, Royce and uh, I forget what Lewis you said. And, Lewis, 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 and Gordon. Lewis and Gordon. Yeah, Lewis yeah. and Gordon are the two top infield prospects, and those guys are about ready. Neither one of them hit very well in the minor leagues last year, so they've, they've got some polish. But Scope is either going to be uh, a bridge, or he could end up being a full-time first baseman they sign him long-term. Mm-hmm. He was one of the hottest hitters in the American League when he left the Orioles for Milwaukee in the trade. Right. And then, you know, Milwaukee didn't use him very well. They kind of, like, disrespected him. So you're not going to be everyday second baseman. Yeah. Got off to a slow start. There's no reason to think that Jonathan Scope cannot return to his MVP-type form with the Twins because that's, you know, you know his defense, you know his arm. And I think he's going to hit. I think that was a great deal for the Twins. Yeah, and I, I think they'll either keep him long-term or they might be able to trade him. So, great move. And hey, great move for Scope because, as I said, there's 26 free agent second basemen this year. Yeah. Mel, let me ask you this. When you're thinking about the Nationals again, and that's with Corbin signing yesterday, and they make it official, uh, you think about Corbin, you think about now the two catchers that they've gotten in Suzuki and uh, – also, uh, Jan Gomes, Gomes, along with uh, the two guys in the bullpen, uh, Rosenthal and uh, who's the other one now? Barraclaw. Barraclaw, right. Yep. Uh, you know, so the Nationals have obviously been very busy before these winter meetings are going to take place. But in terms of now 
you know, maybe how this affects whatever negotiations are going on with Bryce Harper. And then you have Mark Lerner coming out on our station down in D.C. yesterday saying that, you know, look, the $300 million over 10 years is the best we can do, and he fully expects Bryce to probably sign somewhere else. Yeah, I think that I think that's uh, I think we knew that. I don't think that three hundred million dollar figure would have come out as quickly as it did if the Nats were still negotiating. But the fact that they offered him three hundred million, he turned it down. The Nats wanted their fan base to know that they made a legitimate offer for Bryce Harper at three hundred million to allow him to stay in the district for ten years. He didn't take it. They wanted to be on Bryce Harper. They didn't take the money. That it was his decision to leave Washington. Otherwise, that figure would have never gotten out. All right. But having said that, everybody's talking about Mark Lerner. What he said yesterday, he said it. We understand what he's saying, but it's also a negotiating play because sure. basically, what he's telling, what he's telling Bryce Harper is, if if you want to come back, we might not have the money, right? Uh, but you're going to come back at our price. I think it was. Uh, I I think it was a realistic a realistic observation of the marketplace for Harper, mm-hmm. but I also think it was a negotiating point. Well, you know, a couple of the Nationals executives uh, privately have said that they feel like the Nationals did exactly what they wanted to do and handled that situation yeah, they did handle the it. way they wanted to. Now, that said, we know what the free agent market has been like over the last few years for these big-name, power-hitting guys. Uh, whether or not that money is going to be out there, whether it's Bryce or Machado, you know, if Bryce comes back to the Nationals and they sign him for less years, I mean, you're talking about a guy that's 26 and he's still going to have a chance to, uh, you know, maybe have another free agent year. Yeah, yeah, it depends on what the contract is. Yeah, I think the money, though, is going to be there for Bryce Harper. I think Philadelphia is going to get desperate. Ownership has been saying that they want to spend money stupidly. So how can the Phillies now not come up with any big-name free agent uh, this offseason? Uh, so I think Philly's in play. The Dodgers are definitely in play. I think they're tired of the platoon system that they have in the outfield and in their lineup. I think they need a, a bona fide superstar that will be there for a lot. So I think they're in play. I think the Cardinals are in play. Uh, even though they picked up Paul Goldschmidt, I, yeah, I think the I was Cardinals are on the sideline chain. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to ask you, even with Goldschmidt being signed, do you think they'd still go after Harper? Yeah, I think they would. Because they only have Goldschmidt for one year. They need bats. Obviously, Goldsmith helps in the middle of the order. But, yeah, the Cardinals are saying to Harper, Craig, let us know what your offer is, and we'll see if we can top it. Mm-hmm. Remember, this is a team that wanted John Carl Stanton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. $325 million. So I think, I think the Cardinals would be in play if, if the market works in their favor. Uh, you know, it was interesting to watch that trade between the Phillies and the Mariners the other day. Are you like me, Mel, feeling that the Phillies' acquisition of Gene Segura, while not cutting off Machado to Philadelphia, is saying to Manny, if you're going to come here, we may pay you the money, we may not pay you the years you want, but we may pay you the money, but you're going to play the best position that you play, which is third base. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think that's part of it. I mean, I think the Phillies really have to focus on pitching. You know, now that they're moving Reese Hoskins from left field to first base and Santana's out of the picture, their infield defense has definitely improved. They need outfielders. So yep. you would think that Harper would be more for the need to be in Philadelphia. But they also need pitching. 
Arietta and Nola are fine at the top of the rotation, but Velasquez, Eflin, and Pavetta mm-hmm. all struggled last year, particularly in the second half. I'm not sure any of those three are ready to put together a full season. Well, I, like, I don't see it. Go ahead. I like Pavetta. It's really interesting to see whether he gets it straightened out this year. Yeah, I mean, he looked good in the first half. He's got top-notch potential, no question. But he didn't pitch in the second half like he pitched in the first half. We're talking to Mel Anton of Masson Sports, MassonSports.com. Mel, um, the Orioles, uh, it's been kind of cricket sounding. We heard four names earlier in the week uh, as potential managerial candidates. It's clear that they're not going to wrap up that managerial situation until they get back from the winter baseball meetings. But we heard what? Chip Hale, uh, the, the bench coach, Hyde with, is it Hyde? With the Cubs, yeah, Brandon Hyde, Mike Cubs. Bell, Mike Bell, and um, I'm leaving off somebody. Espada. As, no, Espada didn't come. Pedro Grifo came out. Oh, it was those right. four. Right. I heard from somebody this week a name that I found very interesting, and that is a former Marlins manager, Bud Black's bench coach, Mike Redmond. Uh, it's a name I've I just heard. And I, he sounds like the right fit. I'll, I'll tell you what, if that's the case, yeah. uh, I, I think they couldn't do too much better uh, than Where that. Where do you know him from? Well, managing the Marlins. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll tell you what, if you want to see anything about his passion for the game, yeah. go to YouTube and find out, find the video, and it's, it's pretty prominent, find the video of him arguing a call at home plate that was overturned where – uh, the blocking of the plate rule okay, came, came in. Play. I promise you. He looks like Craig. When he argues, he looks like Craig. <laughs> Ab- absolutely. Like absolutely, Mel. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it looks like Craig. Open this club. Yeah. Oh, my God. Little, little vein up the top of your head. <laughs> <laughs> little vein. Little vein. Uh, Mel. No, but I'll tell you what all those guys have in common is a wide variety of experiences. Hitting coach, infield coach. Yep. Minor league development, um, and I think the number one thing, particularly with Mike Bell in Arizona, what these guys have is patience, 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 patience. Chip Hale has big league experience, so I think that he could probably be in the front of the class. But they all have analytics, they all have traditional scouting ability. Uh, I think what more than anything, uh, the Orioles need in a manager is someone who can develop, understand, and have patience. With uh, with young players, and I I think Mike Redmond is an interesting choice as well. Let's go back. Let's go back to the Nats for one minute. If you were willing to pay Harper roughly thirty million a year, are you really that far off of being the best you can be? If you sign Mike Brantley for say two years at sixteen a year, uh, or three years or at Marquecas. fifteen, or Marquecas, are you really that far off? of what you could be with all the other improvements? No, I think, I think both those guys would be good, but I think, I think they really believe that they have a great outfield yeah. with Adam Eaton and uh, Soto and Robles. Plus ah. they have Stevenson. Plus they have Michael Taylor. They're yeah. flushing outfielders. They don't really need to spend for 30-plus, an outfielder that is 30-plus. Even if it's Marquez, even if it's Brantley, yeah. both those guys are excellent hitters. But I think the Nationals are going to bank on their young outfielders coming through. And if for some reason Robles, Harper leaves, and you know, he is going to leave it looks like, but if, if Robles is the guy and he slumps, 
I think Michael Taylor's the guy that takes over, and I think the Nats are comfortable with that. Absolutely. I, maybe that's wrong. And, but I, I and are they comfortable? Are they comfortable with Eaton? And again, I, I mentioned Brantley, who's had health issues too. Eaton does have that issue of durability, and can he stay healthy? Yeah, I think, and I think Craig would 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 agree with me here that there's a question whether Eaton can run now as well as he did before yeah. his injuries. Yeah. So I think that's a big question. But he's there for two more years, so they've already got a Nick Markakis, Michael Brantley type player in Adam Eaton, and I think given their outfield depth. I don't think they're too concerned. And payroll-wise, yeah, it would make sense to sign Brantley and and uh, Marcakis if they're not worried about the luxury tax. But otherwise, they're still going to leave it alone, right? And, All right. And, yeah, and, probably. Uh, don't you think? All right. Yeah. Mel, we've got to run. We wish you a safe travels and hope to see you back in the studios of Masson. A week from now. Stay away from Males- uh-huh. stay away from Molesky out there because that's his favorite city in all of America. <laughs> and whatever you do, don't go to Olympic Gardens. Do not that's go to good, Olympic boy, Gardens. You'll never you come out. Are, You'll never come you out. Are, you guys are full of advice. <laughs> all right. Take care. Thanks, Mel. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's because we've been there yeah, before. Because we, we've right. made these mistakes yeah. before. All right. You know, uh, the, next the, up, the is, funny thing about what he's saying is the fact that you know if what about the outfield depth yeah. is if Howie Kendrick doesn't go down last yeah. year he was going to play they, left field uh, right he goes down Robles Robles was going to come up right. and that injury that he suffered in spring or in the, in the minor leagues right. in in March or I'm I'm sorry in May, May winds up you don't find out about Juan Soto if that happens right yeah correct so correct correct all right. Our next guest on the bat around is an old friend of mine, and his name is Bruce Bouchel. He's written extensively uh, for GQ, Esquire, Vanity Fair, New York Times, many, many others. Those are all meant to impress our listeners out there. But joining us now on the bat around, Stan the Fan and Craig Heist, is my friend Bruce Bouchel. Bruce, how are you? Uh, I'm sitting shiver for Edwin Diaz. Oh, you mean you had? Oh God, okay. You had him in <laughs> your fantasy. That, what was okay. his pr- What was his price? You had him for like three dollars? No, no. I had him for a good. Pr- I had him for nineteen. Nineteen, but that's still a very good price for him. But he earned, I don't know, between forty and fifty. Yeah, yeah. Oh my. I God. mean, he was in fact the only person that I knew last season who got me eleven points all by himself. Yeah, yeah. He had All an incredible himself. year. I'm sorry, I did not know that. I did not. I didn't remember it. Uh, no. The reason we had you on, though, you've written a piece for Fantasy Baseball Magazine on yeah. 15 ways to make baseball more watchable. And by more watchable, you're talking specifically about on television, correct? I'm talking about television. I'm talking about baseball is not as boring as television would have you believe. I I have to admit you've been preaching this for a long time and I've sort of like shrugged it off but I have to be honest with you with game times sort of in the 3 plus hour I think there are a lot more interesting things they could do is it a cost factor and we'll get into some specifics but yeah. do you think it's a cost factor or just well this is the way it's done like a lack of creativity I don't think it's a cost factor because 
home teams play 80-some games at least at home. At home. So if you have to add another camera, um, you can amortize that over a whole season. Right. Uh, I don't know if it's the cost, but of course, another camera means another cameraman. Mm -hmm. And there are unions, so it does cost more money. Um, I think it is partially from tradition that it's done. I think the games, as you're saying, three and a half, four hours, it's really exhausting for the director. I, I mean, it's not an easy job to begin with. You never know where the ball's going. You never know where the next camera is. So it's really a hectic profession. And they rely on three or four basic shots that they just keep going back to. Well, you know, again, like you mentioned, you're talking about more cameramen and things of that nature. Obviously, games in the postseason, games that are nationally televised, uh, World Series, things like that. They always have those extra cameras, but but they're I probably mean, not going to be as experimental in the World Series right. as they are in the All Star game. I understand that, yeah, yeah, right. But uh, you know, your basic four, you know, either one of the two camera wells, uh, a first or third base shot from the mezzanine level, your center field camera, and you're up high behind the plate. Uh, I've always thought that that gives me a pretty good perspective. Well. Yes, they're fine, but there can be more. Fox, during the World Series, used uh, three or four more cameras than normal teams do during the normal season. Mm -hmm. um, and every time a left-hander gets up, a batter, do you really have to see the same shot of him from the same camera right. all day long? I, I'm, the, my, I think, overall main complaint is that camera from center field, you see the pitcher, mm -hmm. the hitter, the catcher, the umpire. That's about, I, I'm guessing, 60% of the game. They really just go to that, and it's a very safe shot. You, you argue a really good point on that, that the, the, when you to total up the time that that camera's in play, it can be nearly an hour of just watching... The pitcher, the catcher, and the the you know, yeah. yeah but, but I don't well, have, I don't really have a problem with that because that's the essence of the game and what's going on. But you might not be able to tell velocity, but uh, of a pitch or something like that. But they that's why they have the speed gun at the bottom of the screen. Well, when somebody's at a game live, as far as in my anecdotal little uh, experiment, nobody's ever bored. And nobody actually stares at the pitcher 60% of the game. There are so many things going on in a ballpark, and you're saying that that's where the main action is. I would love to see the defense. The defense is always changing, and now more than ever, I'd love to see where the shortstop is. I'd like to see what the right fielder is doing. I'd like to see what the on-deck batter is doing. I'd like to see a whole lot more things than just kind of lazily focusing on the pitcher like by the sixth inning how much of the pitcher have have we seen and one of his jobs is not to emote is not to tell the batter or the base runner what he's thinking about so there's not a lot of action on his face and if I, that makes any sense I think, I think you make some interesting points i mean the thing that we love about the game live 
is the geometry of baseball, the different angles and, uh, and all that anything can happen within that, that diamond, and yet all we see are the same three, four angles. I, I think you make an interesting point. You, one of the points you make is yeah. how staid the, uh, the managerial shots are and how boring they are. Well, there are very few managers who are uh, rather animated or want to let you know. I mean, they can't show uh, disappointment when somebody grounds out. They can't let the pitcher know that they were really disgusted with that pitch. So you go to them Earl, and... Earl Weaver used to let you know that. Yeah, can you, can you imagine Weaver being interviewed in between innings? I mean, you know... <laughs> No, it would be great. Yeah. Oh, it would yes, be. It would be great. But that goes back to my point: is that you don't know how many managers really hate that aspect oh, of the. They yeah, detest they it. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not suggesting. I mean, that's not one of my ideas to interview people in the middle of a game. Their minds are elsewhere. They're uh, they're right. not very verbal. Sometimes they don't want to give away things. That I mean, other people are listening. Also, I'm not saying that, but they could do pre-game interviews. Mm-hmm. You could talk to a, uh, a base runner about stealing bases on Kluber. Mm-hmm. And during the game, when he's on first base, you can play back that interview. They don't do a lot of work, like the up-close-and-personal stuff that you get in the uh, Olympics or Super Bowl mm-hmm. before the game begins. They're all there. They're talking to the players. Why not, why not just video some of it or even audio tape some of it, and when the moment comes, we can hear somebody speak to it? Well, you've, you mentioned a couple ideas that I find interesting. One was the ump cam, uh, and the other was the use of the box score. Can you talk a little bit about those two, Bruce? Yeah, sure. The ump cam is just a generic way of saying there are little cameras. There are GoPro. My friends who skateboard or surf they all have their own cameras that they mount and they can use and none of the viewers would be offended if it wasn't exactly correct or if there was a little static right but there are cameras that are no bigger than the phone that i have in my hand that could be on somebody's helmet that could be placed somewhere safely and whenever you want to you can go to it so that's really not an expense because there's no cameraman, and it's not an expensive piece of equipment. Um, That's a very inexpensive piece of a GoPro, yeah. I've seen in Little League um, umpires put a camera on their helmet, mm-hmm. and they give them to the kids when the game's over. And it's really cool. It's just a different angle, and there's no reason why we shouldn't see the pitcher from the catcher's point of view or the batter's point of view. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, uh, the second on. point yeah, you mentioned was... The box what? score. The box score. Box scores. Uh, when I turn on a game or I walk away from a game and I come back and it's the fifth inning, I would love to see on the right-hand side or scroll across the bottom like all news shows do, just the basic box score. What's happened... Up until that moment, when Carlos Santana comes up to bat, put up a box score, and we'll see. Oh, he's zero for three with two strikeouts. Well, I think a lot of I think a lot of uh, local regional broadcast uh, 
entities do that now. I mean, you'll see on mass in here locally in the Baltimore, Washington area, uh, a whole list of the lineup with uh, on the on the right side two for three RBI, you know, one for three home run, that kind of thing. And and I, I you know, Fox does it a little differently. They will have a line score for or in, in a box score type of thing for each individual batter that when that guy comes to the plate they'll scroll that underneath it yeah i see that most most commonly that they will give you the information about the guy at bat but it yeah. would be nice to know who's coming up next and if the guy behind him is has three hits or if they're walking him just like just a, a a viewpoint of the whole game because I think everybody grew up on box scores, well, or maybe know, not. I, yeah, I you don't know, know, that's interesting to me. I had my, I was sitting with my cousin and his girlfriend, my cousin Stuart, who you know, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting with him and his girlfriend. His girlfriend starts sort of obviously it's something she's thought of before, but I'm scoring the game in the stands, and she said, "Well, what does that mean?" And what does that? And I started explaining it to her. Then I sort of went up back up to the press box, brought her a couple box scores, and said, if you want to try and score a game, and she now likes to score games. She had never scored a game. She's probably in her mid-50s or something like that. I wonder if that many people, especially young younger people today, even know how to score a box score, know what a 6-3 really means, or a, you know an L9. I, I don't think they do know it. I think a 6-3 is your starting guard. On, uh, touché, touché. No, I don't. No, no, I, I don't. I don't keep a scorecard, but it's really different yeah. than than looking at the box score at the end of the night. Oh, you're or, saying okay, the box score. All right, uh, okay. I'm oh, yeah, no, it's a very score. passive thing. If yep. somebody wants to keep score, bless them. Yeah, but yep. just just seeing, you know, what you, what the team. If like all the runs are scored in the from the bottom of the order. Or if, you know, the yep. pitcher's line, the announcers can't keep saying he's given up three hits and two runs, one of them was earned, blah, blah, blah. So just put it up there. You don't have to say a word. Have you noticed, and, by the way, excuse me for one second, yeah, have you sure. noticed how box scores now have started to shrink? And I'm not just talking about spatially. They're giving you less information today than they did a year or two ago on pitcher performance. You don't see whether they've given up a home run, what their ERA is for the game. Right. I, I just uh, – anyway. Well, I remember no, I, I remember I, with I, the, the Baltimore Sun when I was growing up. Yeah. Uh, the, the box score itself was just the at-bats, the runs, the hits, yeah. and RBI. Yeah. That was it pretty much across the – you know. I, I always thought that I could tell exactly what happened in the game from a box score. You check out who scored – and who had hits, and what pitcher was in for how many innings, you can, you can pretty much tell who gave up the home run to whom. Um, you saw the attendance. You saw the number of pitches. Um, I, I, I can glean, I think, a whole game from a box score. Yeah. T- tell us before we let you go, Bruce, and we're talking with Bruce Bouchelle, who's written an article that's available. Is does Fantasy Baseball Magazine have a website where people could read this? It's not out yet. Okay, you're you know you're so you're way ahead of the I'm game. Way ahead of the game, man. I think it comes out right after the Super Bowl. All right. I think the Super Bowl is the beginning of baseball. 
I may get you to autograph my copy of this then, in that case. Can I put an X on it? Uh, yes. I'm not real good at Yeah, I understand okay. that. Hey, the Troika, your number 12, is higher. Keith Hernandez, Ron Darling, and Howie Rose to announce every game in every city. Why do you think they're so special? I don't hear Hernandez that much. I hear Darling on his national broadcast. I think he's terrific. Um, they really cover the waterfront. Hernandez being a hitter and a mm-hmm. fielder, Darling having been a pitcher, Howie Rose just the smart guy um, who eggs them on. So you get every angle. They can be critical without being cruel. They bring a certain obvious expertise to the game, and they bring the real world into the game. If it's the eighth inning and the score is 12-1, to 1, Darling will say to Hernandez, what are you looking for here? And he'll say, I'm looking for a good Pinot wire. I have one back in the hotel room. <laughs> and then they'll just talk about wine for a little while. Right. Um, but they're constantly bringing uh, other sports, other arts into their commentary. And they're just very calm about it and very insightful. Uh, it's not, they're not homers, but... Uh, but they're not um, distant either. They know the players, and they like, and they call them by their first names. They can just be very critical in a very positive, uh, neutral way. There, there's nothing wrong with that, uh, especially guys on a local broadcast who make you feel like they know the players individually, mm-hmm. but also at the same time saying, you know, you know, you can't make a play like that in this situation, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. I think that's pretty important to any broadcast. All right. Brucey, it's a yes, ple- pleasure to have you on the show, and I appreciate it as always. It's fun being there, and nice meeting you, Craig. Uh, yeah. I'll see you soon. All right. Thank you. Fifteen okay, ways. Bye. Thank you. Fifteen ways to make baseball more watchable, in parentheses, on TV. Interesting, right. interesting discussion. Yeah, and some interesting points from him. Not all that I agree with, I'm but not, you know, no. you don't but, have to uh, you know, from a from a TV standpoint, I think it's come a long way, and uh, you know, certainly money factors into some of what he's talking about in terms of camera angles and budget and stuff of that nature. But I mean, I've seen over the course of the last ten, fifteen years, they'll stick a a little camera in the ground in front of the plate, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, or out in front of the pitcher's mound, the same thing. You've seen, uh, I think, one of the great angles in in baseball now is the left field angle at Fenway Park where the camera sits on the roof roof, and you see balls that are hit off the bat Mm -hmm. and you can can, check the trajectory of it right over the green monster. That's easy for you to see. Right. Project... Press boxes. Project Game Day is back at halftime and post game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Boxes Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime and will tomorrow during the Ravens Kansas City game. And he's joined by the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard after the game. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports, press boxes, Project Game Day, Facebook.com slash Press Box Sports. And now, time to tell folks about 
you and I have a favorite restaurant in the Baltimore Dundalk area. Right. The Costas Inn. That's right. And we were there last night for the first Friday. I was of, there? Uh, I was we there. there. You said we. Well, me. Okay. okay. First Friday of every month. All right. First Friday of every month. Uh, the Rat Pack with Rick Oliger and company uh, performs there, uh, and uh, they will be there on New Year's Eve this year. Wow. Right, exactly. And uh, that's going to be a really good time. People should come out. Great food, great people to. Is to, there a deal there for New Year's Eve? Like, uh, you know, I've not heard of the deal, but okay. I'm, I'm assuming that they will, will, will have one and we'll. Yeah check with nick and pete to find out and exactly. now you're an owner there that will we'll have one. hey i'm an honorary greek what do you want <laughs> all right but great specials throughout specials, the week give it to us crab cake night on monday night rib night on tuesday steak, steak night on night, wednesday, wednesday and you can find stan the fan there yeah, occasionally on a steak wednesday. night yeah, you certainly and also can. lobster on thursday night uh great specials throughout the week the crab cakes are the best. The steamed crabs, you won't find them any better than at the Costas Inn. And now that the holiday season is here, you can call up and find out from uh, Pete Triantafilos exactly what it would take to ship those delicious crab cakes and steamed crabs to your loved ones anywhere across, anywhere the, across country. the country. And a great place to also buy a gift card yes. for your friends because uh, family atmosphere Great service, great food. You will have a good time, maybe a great time, at the Costas Inn. Phone number, 410-477-1975. 4100 North Point Boulevard. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. What's up? It's KZ. This season, you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at Loop League. Click the link pinned at the top of my Twitter page, that's at Fans Fantasy, and pick any five games against the spread every week. It's free to sign up, and someone wins a $25 Royal Farms gift card every single week. Plus, we'll have great season-long prizes as well. And check out all the other awesome games at Loop League, where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time. Join our Picks League now at Loop League. One third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. Chick-fil-A on Sundays? With Chick-fil-A's reheatable chilled nugget trays, you can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Make all your events remarkable with Chick-fil-A catering trays, perfect for tailgating, birthdays, office, or holiday parties. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference, both at home and abroad. On the Army team, Respect is earned daily, and now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus 
or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer, the, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No, just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Press Box's Project Game Day is back at halftime and post game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Box's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime and he's joined by the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard post game. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Press Box's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Press Box Sports. Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options for 30 solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Got to be honest with you, yeah? I, I, I get tired of that promo that Glenn and Kyle right? did about three and a half months ago, but boy, they were onto something there about that oh. Lamar Jackson thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So we, what do you think about tomorrow real quick? Uh, let's bring our guest on, and I'm sure he can talk Baltimore Ravens football a little bit. Andrew Stetka from Masson and uh, Utah Street Report, but a former Baltimorean who lives in Arizona right now. Uh, what do you think about tomorrow's game, Andrew Stetka? I think that Kansas City is really good, and I don't think the Ravens are as good. So that's, I mean, what else is there to say? I mean, what, what hey, if you any, were any, any given Sunday? But I mean, what were, I don't, I don't think the Ravens have much of a chance in in Kansas City. What about the point spread when you throw that in? I've seen it at six and a half, and I've seen it at seven and a half. I I like Kansas City. Uh, we made picks on Glenn's show earlier this week. I okay. took Kansas City. Um, Minus the six and a half. I think if it were up closer to like eight, eight or nine, I might be tempted to take the Ravens. But you know, if you're going to tell me Kansas City only has to win by a touchdown, mm-hmm. um, I like the Chiefs in that scenario. Well, here's the thing: uh, Kansas City to me, defensively, not very good against the run. Maybe even worse against the pass. Uh, not that Lamar Jackson's going to throw the ball right. all over the place. However, right. if they, the Ravens, continue to use the formula that they've used the last three weeks and control the clock and keep Mahomes off the field and that powerful offense, I think the Ravens can hang right in that game and have a shot in the end. Because that, then, yeah, then it may come down to a turnover or something weird like that. At one point, though, do do teams say, okay, we're going to stick nine, ten guys in the box and say, Lamar Jackson, you've got to beat us with your arm. Um, and when that day comes, I don't, I'm not 
convinced 100% that that will be able to happen. Yeah, but will that come tomorrow with that defense, knowing that, you know, they're not that great? <laughs> well, listen, yeah, no, listen. Good, I, good, I, it'll, I, it'll be entertaining for sure. The whole week, I've liked Kansas City big in the game, but the, as the week has gone on. That point spread's come start, down. <laughs> that point spread came down from 7.5 to 6.5, and, and most of the experts that I look at, and I'm talking about the guys that really have good records, not just you, me, and Craig talking about it. These guys have winning percentages like around 60%. Right. And we know, all, we know Stan doesn't have a good record. They're, they're, all picking, they're all picking the Ravens. A lot of them are picking yeah. the Ravens with the points. Uh, and I think what they're saying is that, that even, even if they put nine or ten guys in the box, it's hard to figure out. And, and don't get me wrong, Lamar's got a lot of work to do on ball security. But they're finding they're finding it hard to pick up who's got the ball really you know well and and you're right and that but like i said how long can that last type of thing i mean we, yeah. we've all kind of t- discussed how this is a uh, a short term answer to a long term problem mm-hmm. um, and i'm i'm no 60% in fact i have a losing record on picking nfl games this year right. i've been way better on college games so don't listen to my opinion whatsoever. I'm going to go uh, bet on, the Ravens now. I'm going to double yeah, down on the Ravens. Yeah, you might as well. Exactly. Yeah. You might as well. <laughs> hey, um, we wanted to have you on. First of all, you live in Arizona. You're right near Phoenix. Uh, tell us a little bit about what the Cardinals got in Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, we all know the name. We know he puts up big numbers. But what kind of player is he? And what kind of person um, is he? I think he's one of the most criminally underrated players in baseball. Um, very and, much and like very a, much like Anthony Rendon. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Very much like Anthony Rendon. Yep. A lot of people bring up the, the top first baseman in the game, Joey Votto, Freddie Freeman. Um, Anthony Rizzo kind of gets thrown in that discussion a lot. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt is, is right up there with all of them, if not above all of them. I mean, he is one of the best. Um, entering a contract year, so that the Cardinals, I, I would ex- expect them to be able to extend him. He's also... You know, he's also gotten to the point in his career now where he is uh, over the 30-year-old mark. Um, he's, he's, you know, probably not going to see too many more contracts. So, I mean, the Cardinals got a great player. There's no question about it. Um, he's, he's a very good defender, a very good hitter. He's also a very uh, underrated base runner, a guy who maybe not last year, he, didn't, he, he wasn't much, as much of a base stealer, but this is a guy that uh, steals, has stolen, you know, 15 or more bases um, a number of times throughout his career. Um, and he's just, you know, quiet because he, he played for so many bad teams. I mean, they've, when he was with the Diamondbacks, uh, they only went to the playoffs a handful of times in his career. Um, so just one of those players that's not heard of a lot, but uh, is very, very capable and, um, you know, like I said, one of the more underrated players in the game. Yeah, I think the Cardinals really improved themselves. What What do you make of the the mix of players they got back? The catcher Kelly and uh, Weaver, the pitcher, and a third prospect. I can't remember his who it was. I really like the pitcher Weaver uh, that yeah. the Diamondbacks got back. Um, he's shown real good signs. Um, I don't know a ton about the the, the minor leaguer Young, uh, but Carson Kelly's another one that that you know they they definitely have potential. Um, to, to improve the dimeback. And, and, and we're seeing this a lot with, with teams like Arizona where they kind of see the writing on the wall. Um, the Mariners are another team. I was thinking just forward, the same. Forward. I'm thinking just the same thing. Those two teams are doing like yeah. sort of rebuilds. Teams kind of tore it down yeah. maybe a year or 
to before they absolutely have to. Yep. Um, almost what the Orioles should have been doing a year or two ago, but mm-hmm. now they've got themselves in a situation that they're in uh, where you know they're, they're building back up from nothing. Um, but the Diamondbacks are, are kind of in that position where they still have a lot of you know talent within their organization, um, not talent that is going to put them at the top, or top echelon of the NL West with the Dodgers, um, but talent that they can continue to build on and kind of you know, reload or retool, if you will, rather than fully rebuild. It, 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 it feels and, and looks like a rebuild when you trade a player like Paul Goldschmidt, um, but you get pieces back that can help you build uh, you know, going forward and, and continue to move, move ahead. Could you see the Diamondbacks uh, figuring a way, just like the Mariners figured a way to get rid of Cano, do you think their aim is to figure a way to get rid of Granke to get him off of their payroll, even if they have I to think- eat something? I think that's been their aim for a little while now. Yeah. I don't think I don't think they've been successful with it, obviously, because they haven't done it. Um, but you got when you compare that to Cano, it's a little tough because the Mariners also traded Edwin Diaz in that in that deal, mm-hmm. and they didn't they didn't really get as much back as if they would have just traded Diaz on his own. Oh, no question. As opposed about to it. attaching Cano with the deal, so that's the complication when you're talking about these players with big contracts like Grinky or Cano. Uh, you almost have to give something up of great value uh, in order to make that deal happen, and that's the that's the rub. I don't think the Mariners wanted to to, to put Diaz in that deal, um, but they probably had to just in order to offload the contract. And I don't know that the the Diamondbacks have a player, you know, of that caliber or of that value in a closer like Diaz mm-hmm. that they could pair with Grinky in order to do it. Well, I'll ask you because Stan asked you about Goldschmidt. Nationals wind up finalizing their deal with uh, Patrick Corbin yesterday, uh, a former Diamondback. And what exactly are the Nationals getting? It looks as though Corbin turned the corner coming back from the surgery and a couple of rough years, and it looks like he's back on track. It looks like he's going to help this team. Yeah, for sure. Really good pitcher, um, really solid contributor to a rotation that is already obviously very strong with the likes of Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg. Um, kind of the Gio Gonzalez replacement, if you will, as a mm-hmm. left-hander in that rotation. I know they were looking for one. Um, and I think probably a little better than Gio Gonzalez, if, if we're being completely honest. Yeah. Um, an upgrade there overall. Gio Gonzalez, to me, is always a guy who, by the fourth or fifth inning, is already at 110 pitches, and, and you've got to pull him out of the game. Patrick Corbin, I think, has a little more uh, stamina, a little more, little more uh, innings to eat there. So that's a good thing. Uh, reached 200 innings uh, here in 2018. Um, has kind of been building that way. And like you said, bounced back nicely from from the injuries that he's had. Um, so, you know, Corbin's a, a guy that is definitely is still, still, you know, fairly young, too. Only uh, just wrapped up his age 28 season. So he still has a lot of years in the tank to, to be able to pitch. And um, obviously, I think staying in the National League is really big for him as well. Um, there were a lot of rumors about him going to New York and, and pitching for the Yankees, um, being a guy from upstate New York who rooted for, for yep. the Yankees. Um, but obviously, staying in the National League is, is big for him. I think I, it's I think huge. Will, will yeah. help keep his numbers uh, where they have been over the last few years it's in huge. Arizona. It's huge because I always remember what Greg Maddox once told me, and that was that if I'd have pitched in the American League, my ERA would have been easily a run higher than yeah. what it was. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, and, and we see that a lot with, you know, pitchers like Maddox or on the flip side, a, a pitcher like Mike Messina, who, yeah. who pitched, you know, for the Orioles and Yankees in the American League East all those years and 
his numbers are great, but think of how much better they could have been in the National League. We're talking with Andrew Stetka of MassInSports.com and also writes for Utah Street Report. Uh, another player that's a free agent for from the Diamondbacks is uh, Pollock, the outfielder. What's his, A.J. Pollock? A.J. Pollock. A.J. Pollock. Pollock. Uh, supposedly the Reds are in on him deeply. A couple other teams are interested. What kind of player <laughs> would somebody be getting if they sign him? But does Pollock want to be in on the Reds? Reds That's yeah. the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Pollock's, a, Pollock's an interesting player. Um, somewhat injury prone, um, but you know, pretty strong uh, defensive outfielder. Uh, a guy who's got a decent on base. Uh, can run around a little bit, um, you know, top of the order or bottom of the order guy. He's not going to give you the, the quite the power uh, that you want, um, but did have, you know, he did hit 20 home runs this past season, um, so showed a little more, a little more pop. But uh, you know, he's just another one of those solid everyday outfielders um, as long as he can stay healthy. Andrew Stetka is with us. Andrew, how much, uh, how, what kind of fireworks are you expecting to come out of um, Las Vegas over the next four or five days? I feel like some of what we expected to happen has already, already happened. Has. Yeah, yeah, we saw you know the big trade with Cano going to the Mets. We saw Patrick Corbin already sign. Um, I suppose we could see Bryce Harper uh, or Manny Machado sign one of them, but I, I don't know that that's definitely going to happen. Um, I have a feeling that Harper's going to want to wait until Machado signs. That's just a gut feeling on my part. I feel like, uh, you know, Scott Boris wants to try to get Harper more money than Machado. Yeah. Uh, and why wouldn't he want to at least try to do that? Um, so he's going to try to wait until Machado signs. And I, for some reason, I don't see Machado making a quick decision, even though I think that his options are pretty clear. Um, all along, I've really thought that, uh, Machado would end up in Philadelphia, and I still believe that. Um, there's just something about the way that that team is prepared to spend money, uh, the the roles that they have available. Uh, they, of course, just acquired Gene Segura in the trade yep. with the Mariners, so they have a shortstop now. But if Manny is willing to move back to third base, I think that that's a really great fit for them. Um, and, of course, he could still pop over too short from time to time. Um and Harper, I, you know, at least until this week when the Nationals kind of made it clear that they feel like he's moved on, I always kind of thought he would end up back in Washington. Uh, I know that's contrary to, to many people's belief, but nope. um, I just thought with the season that he had and, and kind of everything surrounding him, I, I think Washington is not only a really good fit for him still, um, even if the dollars are, 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 you know, maybe not quite there from the Nationals, but I just thought it made sense. Um, even if it was a you know, only a three- or four-year deal rather than the real long-term deal that I felt like that was something that they could make work. Because, honestly, Harper is still so young that if he took a deal like that, um, he could still become a free agent again when he's, what, 27 or yeah, 28? Yeah, absolutely. Something well, like that. We'll see how it plays out, but ownership came out yesterday. Uh, uh, Mark Mr. Lerner. Mark Lerner came out and said he doesn't see uh, Bryce Harper returning. And, and I think what Mel Antonin said, that could have been some gamesmanship. Yeah, it's a that's exactly part. what I feel like, too. Yeah, yeah, and, that's and, exactly you know, my thought. And, and when you hear what some of the Nationals people are saying about how they've handled this situation, they're pretty happy with the way they've handled this situation because I just think that there's I'm, – I'm with you, Andrew. I still think there's a 50-50 shot of it. Yeah, What's I would it? even maybe maybe lean 55-60%. I mean, I just don't, you know, uh, per perhaps we see Mach the Machado deal, 
get done at the winter meetings, and then things start to fall into place with Harper. Uh, like I said, um, I just I just feel like that's the the order of operations here for all of this to happen. Um, you know, there's definitely some other things that could happen. Uh, Craig Kimbrell's out there; he'll probably sign. Um, I know that uh, the Marlins are are really hell bent on moving players like JT Real Muto. They're still yep. kind of tearing things down there. Um, and there's been a lot of really weird rumors with the Indians too, and their, their rotation, um, rumors about both Trevor Bauer and Corey Kluber, um, one or maybe both being traded, which I find kind of puzzling. I know that there's a lot of, um, pending free agency going on there, but, uh, if I I were another team, I would love to get my hands on, um, on Bauer actually, you know, I just, yeah, I mean, I would love to get my hands on either of those guys. They're both great pitchers and and the Indians have done just a whale of a job putting together a rotation over the last few years between those two guys and, uh, Carlos Carrasco who, who signed an extension there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great pitching staff. So I, I definitely think there's a lot of pieces to fall into place surrounding the winter meetings um but the big one is obviously i think harper um you know aside from machado obviously machado i think you know has a chance to get done at the winter meetings or or soon thereafter and then harper will fall into place afterwards and like i said i still think that there's a really good chance he ends up back in dc i think that the phillies did a smart thing uh and i still think that the segura uh, acquisition doesn't take them out of the market for manny but i think it's now clear to manny well, if if I'm going to go work to Philadelphia, I'm going to be a third baseman. I think the club was right to want him on their terms in terms of where he's a difference maker, and he's a difference Absolutely. maker. Absolutely, I think I think the key you're seeing from a lot of teams that are that are perhaps courting uh, Machado is that they're not they're not playing his game of saying, okay, yep. you can play shortstop if you want to. That's exactly what the Orioles did this past season, yep. and. and I didn't agree with it then. I didn't, agree um, and with I still it. don't agree with it. Yeah. Um, I think if 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 teams want Machado, they're going to tell him where he's going to play. He's not going to dictate those terms. Um, and I agree. I think you know I I do like uh, the player that that Philly gave up JP Crawford to the Mariners in order mm-hmm. to get Segura. I think he's still got a really good chance to be a a good player for for Seattle going forward. Um, but I think that's the only thing that Seattle really got back yep. in any of those deals that they made of of, of great consequence. Um, in getting a youngster in Crawford, who's still probably a top ten uh, prospect in the game, um, but Segura is a great pickup for them and can play a good shortstop and and is a you know a really good offensive threat. And I still, like I said, I still think that they're the favorites to sign Machado. I I don't really see him anywhere else that that fits so perfectly. Um, and and uh, you know, again, when it comes to Harper, I feel the same way about the Nationals. I think, right. I think I think it also sets up a really great chance for both Harper and Machado to go at it. Yeah, uh, you know, in that division for for many years to come. All right, we appreciate your spending some time with us again, Andrew Stetka. Uh, best of uh, holiday seasons to you and your family out there in Arizona. Same to you guys. All right, That's thanks okay. very much. We'll talk to you soon. Andrew right, Stetka of MassInSports.com and Utah Street Report. Craig, why don't you um, introduce this piece of uh, audio that you have? Well, just a little bit of Q&A from yesterday with Mike Rizzo, the general manager of the Washington Nationals, after they made it official and signed Patrick Corbin. Now, keep in mind, uh, he's a two-time All-Star. Uh, last year made the All-Star team 11-7 and on the year with a 3-1-5 ERA. And uh, Mike Rizzo uh, had a chance to talk to a bunch of us uh, in the media 
after the actual press conference, and uh, he talked about what he likes about the acquisition of Corbin. You know, the personality is great. The makeup's great. The competitiveness is there. An important process, an important part of this process was he's, he's, he's such a great athlete. We, we really like his athleticism. And I think that uh, players that are athletic, I think, age better than, than players that are, are reliant on, on strictly ability. And, uh, you know, especially pitchers. Pitchers that are athletes, I think, uh, have, a better, have a better chance of, uh, of, st- of staying healthy. Now, you know, their pitchers are pitchers, so, you know, there's always that inherent risk of, of breaking down and getting hurt. But I thought this this risk was uh, was uh, one well taken. I, I think that, uh, that you know, we, we love the makeup and the competitiveness, and, and uh, we do think the stuff, you know, the needle is moving north and the stuff is getting better, and his, his pitchability is improving each and every year. Mike, everybody... <laughs> I've talked to you this week. It's like, oh, they're signing Corbin. What relationship does that have to whether they pursue Harper or not? Where do you stand? I think they're, you know, they're in de- they're independent of each other. I, I really do. I think that uh, you know we we have uh, you know we've gone about the business of creating this this roster for 2019, and uh, and uh, you know at the end of the day we'll figure out if that includes uh, Harper or not. It's just you know we, we thought that it was. It, it was good business to we had we had to you know fix the things that we needed to be fixed and uh, and uh, you know harp is a, a big part of our uh, our family and uh, you know we we would love to have him back among the starters that were available this year, not just free agents but the potential trade teams did Patrick stand out separating himself from that pack or did you feel like there were others that you could have well, you know, you always have to weigh the uh, you know the, the the free agent market and the trade market, uh, you know, kind of kind of together because uh, you know as they say, you know, free the free agents all they cost you is money, uh, and 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 trade candidates cost you cost you prospects uh, and money. So uh, it's uh, we balanced them too. We balanced them both, and uh, we. Uh, you know, obviously, we checked out you know a lot of trade possibilities in in that type of thing with with some you know front of the rotation guys and uh, and discussed it with Patrick and a, and a couple other free agents and uh, we really we really focused in on on, on Corbin just because uh, you know again twenty nine needle moving north left handed athlete give, you know gives us uh, gives us really checks off a lot of boxes that we were looking for in this in this uh, free agent class you guys have had Tommy Johnson who made it back and go up afterwards do they usually have a good history of lasting like Strauss you know and a bunch of others yeah there's uh, you know I think there's two hundred 200 pitchers in the big leagues that have had Tom, the Tommy John surgery so uh, you know it's it's prevalent, and I, I think there's a, there's a lot of success stories, and you know, certainly uh, certainly it's it's not foolproof, but uh, we think that the the combination of, of all all the things that that is Patrick Corbin, we feel we feel good about it. I guess what I meant is the longer you your arm stays attached, mm-hmm. the more likely it is to to be stay attached a long time. Yeah, we, if you're going to blow, you blow it in the first couple of years. Right, that's that's why that's why you know I mentioned that he's he's several years beyond beyond Tommy John and. And as in his as getting better as as he as he goes on, so we feel we feel that's a that's a good mile marker. Like, do you feel like you have your rotation in the organization right now, or are you still thinking that we you know, we feel good about it? We feel good about where we're at. Uh, you know, we've we've got our big three. We've got Tanner. We've we've got uh, we've got uh, Fetty and Ross, and then several several depth guys beyond them. So you know, we feel as good as anybody can feel about uh, about their starting pitching and. Uh, so, but we, we know we we don't uh, we don't eliminate any any group of any group of anything. 
you're bidding against teams like the Yankees and the Phillies, as it seemed like in the end you were. Do you, are you surprised to come out with that player, given their history of kind of spending the way they do? Well, I think that, you know, I, I don't I don't look at it as we're bidding against anybody. First of all, we, I didn't know it was the, you know, you don't you never know who you're bidding against if you're bidding against anybody. So I think that uh, you have to take care of your house. You have to do what's in the best interest of the Nationals. And, uh, and we, you know, we aggressively uh, went after, you know, uh, Patrick Corbin, and uh, I think that uh, you know we we paid a, we paid the going rate for uh, for an elite starting pitcher, and, uh, and we feel we feel good that, uh, that he's going to be pitching for us. You know, just do that one Top three starters in rotation. Was there any pause or anything with that? Is that something that you're calling? You know, the payroll's the payroll, and you have to. You, we all have. Uh, you know, we all have to budget restrictions and payroll restrictions that we've allocated uh, we've allocated a lot of resources to our to our uh, front of the rotation and uh, I think that uh, you know elite starters middle middle lineup bats and and back end relievers is is uh, you know where I think you spend your money and you try and you try and get values uh, along the periphery of the uh, of the of the roster what's the psychology of this similar in any ways to Jason Worth where you, you saw a real now you really needed a number three left-handed starter, so you, you go insane. We're going to be really aggressive, as opposed to how aggressive we normally are. No, I don't. I don't. It, I don't see the correlation of that. I think that you know Corbin was a. a Elite, elite starting pitch that we liked happened to be left-handed, which which appealed to us even more. Uh, but uh, I, I think that the two are, there, there's drastic differences between the two signings. All right, there you have it. Mike Rizzo, general manager of the Washington Nationals. Uh, a little scrum with the reporters on yeah. the signing of Patrick Corbin. Yeah, and uh, a little bit about what it necessarily means to Bryce Harper. Now, having said that, Mike comes out and says, I think it's kind of mutually exclusive. One doesn't have anything to do with the other. Mm-hmm. When, where the owner went on the radio station, after our radio station afterwards, and said, I don't think it's possible we're going to sign him again. So I don't know whether Mike was kind of happy with with uh, Mark and and what he said there, but like I said, I think I think they've played it pretty well, Stan, and I think that if they lose Harper, they're perfectly happy with the outfield constructed as it is mm-hmm. to go forward. They still will have depth there. So- they won't have Harper's bat, but you know, from an outfield standpoint, you know, in terms of what he brings, Bryce isn't that great an outfielder. Uh, you know, what's interesting about this potential uh, situation with Bryce Harper is you have a, an agent who likes to wait, wait, and wait, yep. and what you have is the club portraying it like, hey, the the ship is ready to sail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're hoping that Bryce starts to, to say to – to Scott, let's get this well, done. Right, right. And I think that I, I don't see it happening. He indicated at the end of the year that he would like to get it done as soon as possible. Right. And I think if you ask Manny, truth be told, he'd feel the same way. Well, I think they, the players want to get it yeah. done. They want to know. But Scott Boris has been through this rodeo well, more than been, a few times. Well, he has been, but again, he's not stupid enough to know not know that, uh, as Andrew said and I said earlier yeah. in the show, if you sign a three-year deal... That right. gives you the opportunity to become a free agent again at what twenty nine, right? So, so you think if it happens, it'll be a like a shorter like, term well, a deal? Shorter term deal, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And well, you can we'll still see. have that money there at whatever thirty million a year, right? Right. Right. Couple of notes, real so, quick. So, so it's real. It's interesting though. You would agree that the Nats have taken care of all the roster business 
left open that one small window right. where Harper can get it. I would say in. that's accurate, And if he yes. doesn't, on their time frame, they go to plan B hey, with maybe a Mark Akis or a Brad. I don't agree with Mel. I don't think they're going to go in with Eaton, uh, Robles, and Soto as the starters. Well, you have Michael A. Taylor there. You have yeah. Andrew Stevenson there. Right. And Andrew Andrew runs as well as anybody in the game. I mean, in terms of speed, and he's a good outfielder. Yeah. But uh, Michael A. Taylor. Uh, I think Brantley you, you makes an be, awful lot of sense for them Brantley, in a two-year Brantley deal. Brantley does make sense, but Michael A. Taylor, uh, they've got to determine what they're going to do with him. Is he right. going to be an everyday center fielder or certainly a platoon type guy? Mm-hmm. But they've got to figure it out because if not, Michael's best years are coming up well, here. They might use Michael Taylor in a deal. That's what I'm know, saying. If they, they sign like a Brantley they or a could, Mark they could, A couple notes real quick. Mike, yeah. Mike Messina, happy 50th birthday today. Wow. Uh, hopefully you get good news and a birthday. Is he listening? I don't know. Hopefully okay. you get good news and a birthday present uh, a month from now. Yep. A little more than a month from I'm now. I'm rooting for him. And uh, for him he had 63.5% of the vote last year. I think he makes it this year. Can he make that jump? I'm saying probably not this year, but next year. But, All right. you know, we'll I see. talked to his brother, Mark. You know, and Jane Levy, uh, one other person I thought about her writing about when, when if she wants to stick with that Yankee theme mm-hmm. is Derek Jeter. Mm-hmm. And what it was like to make. Well, a, she doesn't have a Yankee thing. No, but I'm She's, just saying her last two books have been. But Koufax. Yeah, well, I understand that, but I'm just saying she was talking about. Derek well, you know, Jeter. now where do you go from here? Jeter, when you think about him coming up, and him always saying that Cal kind of paved the way mm-hmm. for guys like him and A Rod. But Jeter made a ton of errors at the minor league level, yeah. and then to turn out to be the shortstop that he was. Jeter, Derek Jeter, Jeter. number two. Derek, Derek Jeter. 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 Number, number two. two. <laughs> All right. Speaking of number two, our number three, Brittany Everett. We I, say goodbye to her. I say goodbye to you, and I'm leaving you speechless. Goodbye. No, you're not, but I was going to say, you ever, I nobody ever, ever can I ever tell you about the uh, uh, recording that he did for me? Yes. Uh, when you called Bob Shepard, when you called you, the answering machine, right? Craig Heiss. Right. Heiss. And he says, you know, I wrote it down. He goes, right. I normally don't do this kind of thing. <laughs> English professor that he right. was, right. I, I had written down what I wanted him to say. And he goes, you know, you know you've reached 490, oh, you know, the whole number thing. And he goes, neither Craig nor Suzanne, and I wrote, are here to take your call. And he went, Neither Craig nor Suzanne is here to take your call. <laughs> That's he, it. He was a great guy. I was put in my place. 100 great years guy. old, man. Yeah. Are you kidding me when yeah. he passed? All right. <clears throat> Thanks a lot. Yep. You look like you'll be here next week. I'm uh, thinking. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. We're thinking. Oh, we've got to get a break in. We've got to tell people about the Costas Inn. Oh. Specials. Crab cake night Monday. Tuesday night's rib night. Wednesday, my favorite steak night. Right. Thursday's lobster night. Right. Friday is Pete's, Pete's Miscellaneous special. Pete's Miscellaneous on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Oyster stew on the menu all winter long. It's really? fabulous. Really? Fabulous. Oyster we stew. We always talk about we always talk Oyster about the Maryland stew. crab stew. Stew. Oyster right. stew. We always talk about the Maryland crab soup and yep. the cream of crab soup. My wife likes to split them. Right, she I know. She puts half and half in But, uh... Oyster stew, 
nine ninety five. It's uh-huh. outstanding. It's a meal. It's it? yeah. It's, it's a great. Meal. It's All great. right. The Costas Inn. Those are just a few of the reasons to stop by during the holiday season. Even better yet, you can get a great gift certificate for somebody, or find out how you can ship crabs or crab cakes to somebody special all around the country. And the Rat Pack on New Year's Eve at the Costas Inn. All right. That uh, we'll we'll take a break and then come back and say goodbye. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference, both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Dave Ginsburg profiles six-time Pro Bowler Marshall Yanda, an NFL star so unlikely he still drives a beat-up old pickup truck. Plus, our annual college basketball preview as we break down all of the Division I men's and women's hoops teams in the state. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dining orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone, go listen to Section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336. Instead of us telling you why we're awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says, definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section 336 is the greatest Baltimore Oriole podcasts around look forward to listening every week these guys are coconuts and if that's not enough reason to listen they are a great listen if you want orioles talk even during the off season if you're lucky they might even talk about the ravens josh matt and bert are a must listen every week check section 336 out for yourself on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts what's up it's kz this season you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at weekly click the link pinned at the top of my twitter page that's at fans fantasy and pick any five games against the spread every week it's free to sign up and someone wins a 25 dollars royal farms gift card every single week plus we'll have great season-long prizes as well and check out all the other awesome games at loop league where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time join our picks league now at loop league.com 
Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square will cater your holiday party at home, at the office, or as that contribution you make to your friend's party. Take the nugget platter. I guarantee your friends will eat every bite. Enough with the meatballs in a crock pot. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square will cook it, pack it, and if you'd like, deliver it. Sandwiches, sliders, waffle fries, desserts, even breakfast. Have you tried the Chick-fil-A chicken minis? Delicious. You have enough to do. Don't add more cooking. For not only will your catering platter be sensational, but your home will smell amazing and you won't be exhausted by the time your party starts. Order online or through your Chick-fil-A app if you need help. Ask Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. He's been there for 150 years. He knows how to do everything. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. For the holidays, you're welcome. All right, we are back on the battle round. We ran a little bit late today. Craig, uh, have a good remainder of your day. Real quick, you're wearing a Maryland T-shirt. Yeah. Um, they play Loyola of uh, Chicago. Today team. here in Baltimore yeah, at 4 and that's o'clock. not going to be a gimme because that's the team that made the final four last Towson year. and Morgan in the first game of that right. doubleheader at 1 o'clock. Your thoughts on Mike Loxley? being hired uh happy with it i tend to not pay much attention to the two or three wins that he had right. at new mexico difference uh but he was there with ralph at maryland the first three years that he was there and they were, there was an acc championship yeah three bowl games two and he was a large part he of was that. a large part of that and of course the offensive coordinator the number one offense in the country right and he's also somebody who is a, a recruit recruiting wizard yeah, yes. wizard around this and area and that's the biggest thing that maryland needed was to have him as part of that program to rebuild and restructure everything and get it right to what's going on down there the last year and a half. Or I so. love the the part where he's been at Nick Saban's elbow yep. the last three years. Yep. All right, that's going to wrap up our show. Don't forget Ken Zalas, Sarita Hubbard, Kyle Ottenheimer tomorrow, fantasy and reality football show, 10 to 12, Glenn Clark at halftime, and post game with Project Game Day brought to you by Glory Days Grill, and then Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer Monday through Friday with the Glenn Clark Radio Show. For all of us, we'll see you. Have a great weekend.